Whitten. Whitten. Happy Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday, mate. How are you, my friend? Mate, I'm uh, I'm limitless. I'm uh, I'm about to disappear off to the Cook Islands. Uh, so next uh, wine and wisdom, I reckon we should do it. We'll do it from the Cook Islands if the uh, if the if the internet allows us to. A uh, couple of weeks off to kite surf. When, when are you uh, going? I, like, I mean, I'm coming. This is my day back. I've been off for a week, and uh, you're about to rack off. Mate, I am. It's uh, look at look look how much grey is here, mate. That that's literally only just come up in the last <laughs> couple of months. That's uh, so, mate. I'll be um, I'll be over in the Cook Islands, uh, enjoying some kite surfing with uh, Chris Sal and the team from Kite Republic, who were who were actually on Wealth Wine and Wisdom once. Uh, once they were once upon a time, weren't they? they yep, were. Shout out to those guys. Well, a uh, bit of a um, uh, a bit of a uh, bit of a shout out to a few of the. The crew logging in right now. We've got Jeff already on. So, uh, yeah. Jeff, how are you, mate? Oh, well, uh, people been looking for me. And, yeah, I'm here, Jeff. I, I, I was going to come back to work on Thursday but then decided to extend my holiday. So um, uh, I uh, got convinced by Andy to come back and drink wine because we've got a very special guest on tonight, folks. So make sure oh. you hang around for, for this one. You, you're going to love it. Um, um, bit of a shout-out from Aaron. How are you, mate? Alison, good to see you. Um, uh, let us know where you're dialing in from, folks. Give us a shout out. Trace is uh, Trace is in the house as well. Um, on time. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Jeez, yeah. Uh, well. <laughs> Do we, I think I think we might be guilty of uh, destroying productivity of some workforces, Jase. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is five o'clock, so you know, five o'clock on a Friday, it's time for a glass of wine, uh, Andy. So why don't we do the old, you know, the uh, obligatory intros? Um, folks, good morning. Uh, good evening. Not good morning. Usually I'm uh, doing my wealth um, well, coffee, coffee chat, chats, but today it's Wealth, Wine and Wisdom, and um, we've got a few people bob in from Wollongong, and uh, we've got Sanchito. Um, great to have you here, Happy and Rodney's Friday. on as well. So uh, great to have you all here, folks. And we've got Bryce dialing in Bryce. from YouTube. YouTube. Yep. Yeah, love it. Good to see so, mate, um, you know, folks, if you're new to the show, most of you know us, but if you're new, Andy and I kicked this off uh, uh, when COVID kicked off. Actually, our guest tonight is going to be, um, was one of our first guests, actually. I think he was our first guest yeah. for for uh, Wine and Wisdom uh, a little while ago, but uh, we kicked it off because of the COVID confusion out there, folks, when it came to the world of property investors and business owners and those in the share market, and myself and Andy have been in our respective industries for for well over twenty years each, and 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 counting, um, and uh, along the way, we've uh, we've learned a few things. And these days, we enjoy a glass of wine and sharing a little bit of that uh, uh, education, the school of hard knocks, the way we've learned um, with you folks out there, uh, my world of property investors, Andy's world of business owners, and those in the stock market, share market, finance, those sorts of things. So, welcome along. Hope you're all awesome and well, and um, yeah, enjoy the show tonight. There is a little bit of a rough, Andy. There's a there's a small rough, you know, outline. Well, um, there's, there's a description for it anyway. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see whether we can follow it. We try tonight. and stick to it. We try and stick to it. But uh, you know, we might uh, take a moment or two to just quickly cover some things in the news, only briefly. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, I think we'll spend most of our time tonight chatting to our guests because uh, we were chatting off 
air and there's uh, some awesome stuff that uh, I think uh, a lot of people need to know uh, what's going on yes. when it comes to the back end of COVID. Now things getting back to normal and uh, certainly business owners and investors need to be aware of these things. So uh, if you do have some questions, ladies and gents, make sure you put them in the chat and when we uh, introduce our guest in about five minutes, I'm sure we'll have some uh, we'll have some questions for him as well. So, uh, keeping you in suspense, we haven't uh, given away the name yet. But um, hey, why don't we do this, Andy? Why don't we give a we, let's give away a bottle of wine if someone can remember our first guest uh, ever, uh, what his name was on on uh, on <laughs> Wealth Finder Wisdom. We'll give away a bottle of wine, folks. Anyone remember who our first guest was? Um, and uh, I can. That's uh, that's a cracker. Uh, it, but there's a great possibility that if, <laughs> uh, if his name gets thrown out there, mate, uh, we may never live it down. Uh, well, and you're not allowed to go back and look at YouTube and find out who it was either. <laughs> mate, <laughs> mate, I think we're safe there. There's there's about two hundred and something episodes now. It'll be hard to uh, hard to uh, get that one. <laughs> there you go. I guess it's can he participate? Well, um, I, well, I don't think I don't think that would be. Um, well, the wine's pretty good, actually. The only wine I've got is good stuff to give away, so maybe you, maybe it is worth getting involved. <laughs> well, that, so that's that's open for the for the next little bit. And Deanne does actually have our previous winner, so we do need to get that out as well. So yes, um, so uh, so yeah, if you can remember who our first guest is, have a guess. Um, uh, is an absolute beast, and uh, and and on the button, and it's got a great story to tell. Actually, it's a a, a great story about a an Irish. Australian uh, operating in New Zealand, and uh, but we might see if we can we can pull a few stories out from him when he comes back on. But we shall uh, see. We shall see. Well, mate, so, uh, uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. Uh, we've got uh, a heap of people on already now, which is awesome. And um, the uh, oh, John O'Rolly, um, there he is. Uh, Rolly was one of our guests, that is for sure. But he wasn't the first. Um, someone said Heather. Uh, Heather was one of our guests. She wasn't the first. Yeah, but there you go. Well, uh, I hope you guys are able to track that down. But listen, why don't I just uh, tee off just quickly, Andy, uh, a little bit about what's in the news. This might sort of tee us up for our conversation and, um, you know, get things rolling along. But uh, the big news out there um, right now, Andy, is uh, <laughs> Jono. Jono, he's, he's, always, he's always competitive, Jono, isn't he? Hey? Whack his comment up on the screen. We've got to show that one. Jeez, I tell you what. He, he's saying he wasn't the first, but the best. Well, that's, the, so, that's, that's debatable, <laughs> but he carried the team. Jono, thanks, Jono. <laughs> Jono's got good shoulders. He's got he, very, very good he shoulders. He does, and, and uh, you carried them well, Jono. You, you, yeah. you did You did bring the A game uh, that time. We'll have to get you back big, on too, brother. That would be awesome. But, mate, listen, big, big shoulders and tiny there. calves. But, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're not playing golf now, Andy. But, uh, you know, the big news out there right now is, uh, you know, it was one of the first things that came um, came out uh, as a comment from our guest tonight as well, just randomly. But, um, you know, the world of jobs, jobless rates, employment, you know, at 48-year lows, folks, and uh, across the nation, uh, that's a good thing for people to have jobs. The challenge is... You know, productivity and uh, production around the country uh, is starting to splutter and struggle. And, um, you know, a few things are, you know, being a bit of a challenge. Uh, 
I've also got a bit of a question for many. Actually, I think I've given away the answer. I was going to say which uh, which state has got the lowest unemployment rate? Unemployment rate, lowest unemployment rate in Australia right now. The average unemployment rate, or the nationwide, is three point four percent. They and technically, right now, folks, there are more jobs than there are people unemployed. You know, that's the that's the technical thing. Oh, Jeff's uh, kicked off already with WA. He's, well, uh, yeah, he's... well, WA is um, is kicking off. Uh, we're speaking to our guest. He is from WA, so that gives giving a little bit away as well um, about, you know, the jobs teeing off over there in the world of mining. But, however, um, folks at the moment, according to this article that I read, uh, that Victoria, Andy, Victoria, wow. uh, nation-leading um, employment rate or unemployment rate um, of 3.2%. So there you go, folks. Uh, At the end of the day, what happens with jobs is certainly in my world when it comes to employment um, and uh, lending and property. When people have got jobs and they've got income, you can lend them money and they can buy property. I think it's a good thing for real estate. It's going to tee off pretty nicely. It is one of the reasons, or one of the main reasons, Andy, I believe that uh, we are, we're already underway, folks. Here's my call. You guys know I make these calls often, so does Andy. Let's lock it in. All right. Lock it in, uh, Andy. Lock it in. 518, <laughs> 19th of August. Uh, we are, we, we are, we've, we've, we've started the next cycle, the next cycle, the next growth cycle in the real estate game. And why am I saying that? Well, uh, a few things. And I've been talking about them for a little while, but uh, we're already teeing off. We're already seeing the conversation kick off with this stuff, Andy, the idea of migration. We've got a job summit coming up, job summit coming up. Now, if you look at this, folks, and this is sorely needed, this is an absolute emergency. We need people in the country. Now, at at one point, our highest permanent migration intake (laughs) Um, our highest permanent migration intake was 210,000 people or thereabouts. Check this out. Skilled migration, skilled, highest in the past, give it give or take 120,000 people. The government is talking about lifting the cap. Already they talked and locked in 160. They're now talking 200,000. And that would be 200,000 skilled, not permanent. So there would be other migration on top of that, folks, coming into this country. If the government can get its finger out of its behind, the challenge is it's all good and well to set these numbers, Andy. The next thing is actually to deliver on them. Um, But, folks, if they even get close to these numbers, I'm telling you we are all ready. There's commitments in play. Interest rates are going to go down mid-2023. They're going to peak by the end of this year. Interest rates will come off a, a smidgen partway through next year, and that will be the catalyst. People entering the country, the interest rate going down, will already be at lowest vacancy rates we have ever seen in Australia. It's already here. Most of our cities are under a percent in vacancy rate. Um, even in apartment, even in the apartment space, it's under a percent wow. in vacancy rate. Now, a balanced market is three percent. That's a balanced market. 
under 1% is insane. There's no stock. There's no property being constructed. There's some challenges. Even uh, Dermot, oh, I gave it away. <laughs> Our guest, might even. <laughs> Jason, you won the bottle of wine. <laughs> hey, I won the bottle of wine. Um, uh, well, there you go. Dermot will talk about that potentially later on because uh, that uh, that uh, uh, some of the construction companies around the country are um, in challenges, challenging times. So my call, Andy, is we are off already to our next beginning of the cycle. It's locking in. It's loading. And here's the decrease in listings year on year. All right? Decrease in listings. Check this out. So right? just talk, walk us through this. When you say decrease in listing, you're saying uh, the decrease, decrease in rental listings. In rental listings. All right. Okay. So not, uh, not sales, but rental listings. Yep. Check this out. Like how can you decrease already lowest supply, you know, 40%, 40% here in Sydney? Decreased. Decreased yep. year on year. So that's a year decrease. Check out the other couple of places. You're talking Brisbane. You know, 30% decreases. And Perth kicking in. I think Perth, if Perth can get its skates on when it comes to some jobs and some people over there, but if you guys go back and have a look at this, just quickly, WA has got more jobs available than people who live there. Um, and uh, our call is that we might have a little run in the real estate market over there if, uh, if things work out okay. Uh, we're sniffing around. We're looking at some deals in WA for the first time in many years. So, uh, Andy, that's what's in the news for me. Plenty going on when it comes to the pressures building up. Well, certainly people still sitting on their still sitting on their hands, though, Andy. You know what I mean? Um, when it comes to you know the world of the world of uh, property and borrowing, because interest rates are up, and yep. um, you know. A prudent person wants to make sure that their costs aren't going to blow up. But um, right now, I think we're uh, we're getting ready for another little run. What do you got on your neck of the woods, Andy? You got anything um, in the news? And then we'll uh, get our guest on, I reckon. Mate, well, I'll jump through mine reasonably quickly because uh, this is something which we called a little bit earlier. Uh, and uh, so this is interesting, right? This is, uh, well, it's interesting. It's not important. <laughs> it's just interesting. Uh, so the Reserve Bank has announced it'll throw its doors open to a panel of private sector economists twice a year in a bid to increase transparency. Now, remember, we sort of we said that Lowe is going to have a fair crack. Like he's he's going to yeah. go listen, you know, because the, the, effectively, for those of you who haven't seen what Jason and I've been talking about recently, it's that the, the government have come out and gone, oh, it's the RBA's fault that the economy's fucked, basically, <laughs> and uh, and so they've and, and they, they've. They're launching a, a royal inquiry, and Lowe is quite quite a tactical kind of a bloke. So uh, he's he's more he's he's been more outspoken in the last sort of couple of months than he has probably in the last four years. Uh, I'm not even sure he's been chair that long, but um, but Jace, I got a sneak peek. So effectively, what's going to happen is they're going to have independent economists come in and view what's going on with the the Reserve Bank. Uh, and how they're making these policy decisions. Andy, maybe we should put our hand up. Maybe we should chuck our uh, hat in the ring for that one. Right, like, well, let's do well, it. Well, <laughs> apparently you have to be an economist. Uh, and I think that, Jace, you've got way too many calls right to, to fill up an economist. <laughs> yeah, I don't get things wrong enough. <laughs> but I, uh, I did get a sneak peek on the first uh, the first uh, chaired meeting. Uh, and so, mate, this, this is a scoop. 
uh, for Wealth, Wine and Wisdom. I did get a, a, a scoop on the first lot of economists that are actually going to be um, going to be present. Uh, let me just bring that down. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a far affair. I'm not quite sure whether they're going to get the charts the right way up or not. But Jesus... How, how, how do you throw a country into even worse affairs? You, you just throw a whole lot of economists in a room together with low <laughs> from the Reserve Bank uh, to argue over. Ladies and gents, they, it's, they have monetary control. Uh, so effectively they set the cash rate to, to kind of control the country, but they have a mandate that's pretty basic. It's mostly inflation, a couple of other things that's sitting behind it. So anyway, mate, I think um, <laughs> it's just the political argy-bargy is classic. Yes, I thought indeed. I'll, I'll just bring this up and maybe we'll chat about this a little Zoom bit. Zoom in a little on it, Andy, in, maybe if you can. Um, in coming weeks. Yep. Uh, and I'll bring down here because uh, you and I, we love Japan, right? So uh, this yes. is some stuff from Schroeder, some, uh, some, um, some data that I've been looking at more recently. And on the, uh, on the, the left-hand side the, here, it's the expected return over the next three years. Uh, and down the bottom here is the probability uh, of, of loss. Uh, right, so ultimately, you really don't want to be getting too too much involved in the Japanese government bonds when they're out <laughs> now. Uh, it's then they're on the wrong side of it. But uh, in the equities market, and I think we'll chat about this a little bit next week. Um, you know, our, our actual market, as far as uh, Japanese equities are concerned, emerging market equities, Australian equities, and I, I reckon we'll have a good chat about this uh, next week. Uh, are the front runners, but for you, Jason. Um, Mate, I think we need that study tour over to Japan. And well, it's on. Many yeah. <laughs> of, our, uh, of our devotees on and uh, we can take a whole lot of you over to, to Japan with us and we can do a, a bit of a study tour. Um, but, mate, these are the, uh, the returns by asset class across the world. I thought this is an interesting statistic that I uh, got from Morningstar uh, or an interesting graph. Basically, right across the, the, the world, um, and this is 10-year trailing returns, right? Almost everything positive. Uh, global asset classes year to date, mate, there's, there's almost no one, almost no one, just the United Kingdom that's actually kicked up. Now, to me, these are really positive things. Uh, and it goes a little bit to what you were talking about. And again, I think we're going to jump into this a, a little bit more next week. Uh, but when everything's red, mate, you, you, you want to start to pay attention because it, it it tends to go the opposite way reasonably quickly. Not all of them, but uh, mate, my eyes are on the markets. And there's another thing for all of the interest rate uh, junkies out there, whether it be uh, because you've got a mortgage or because you're a retiree and you're now wanting to try and get interest rates locked in uh, for investment purposes or mortgage purposes. So as we know from an investment perspective, Jason, we've talked about this ad nauseum, when interest rates go up, the price of bonds decrease. So if you're invested in bonds and interest rates go up, which is what's happening now, and again, we'll, we'll chat about this a little bit more next week, but if you're in a conservative portfolio, and this is really bizarre right now, if you have a conservative portfolio, balanced or more defensive in your super fund, then it's underperformed quite drastically. Uh, it's counterparts in the growth area. Now, you would think that that makes sense in a, in a bull market where everything's going positive, but in a market that's going sort of sideways and down and lots of volatility, you'd think that a more conservative fund would perform better, wouldn't you? But because of this dynamic, because all of the conservative investments in the portfolio are actually losing value, 
yeah. which means capital value, then our balance funds and our conservative funds are actually in quite negative positions because of these interest rate rises. But there's good news, um, and you and I have been educating people on the 10-year government bonds and what, what yep. all of this means, uh, and also to to kind of chime in with some of the, the stuff that you were talking about uh, earlier in regards to property, we saw the peak uh, of the 10-year bond curve, and that was uh, in June 20, right? And that was just above 4%. And it seems to be stabilizing quite well now in and around that sort of just above 3%, which is what we've been talking about for a little while. Um, and if you look at five-year and also two-year, it's, ah, telling, it's telling a go. similar sort of story. Yeah. So what I'm going to be looking at for a little while into the future, what the markets are looking at at the moment is, is really what's happening over here uh, and whether this stabilises. Because if this stabilises, Jace, then your sort of call about, you know, the next round, uh, you know, could be a little bit truer than, um, than, than you know or than you think because one of the, one of the philosophies that, um, that you and I have when it comes to investment markets is that the flow of information, the flow of funds actually increases the speed of which things correct and the speed of which things fall um, mm. and rise, That's right? Which means that, yes, the GFC, it took two or three years to recover from. COVID took um, three months to recover from. So it's quite possible that our cycles are now becoming a hell of a lot shorter because of the information that's available to people in the market because they can go out there and spend their money faster and feel like they're more informed, which means that our cycles actually decrease. Um, the, the interesting part about COVID, obviously, is that supply chains don't actually mobilise as fast as information does. So, Yeah, well, mate, you, you, could, you could be known for a quote on that. You should do a quote card, you know. At the, at the end of the day, information moves faster than your supply chain, but, um, you know, if you can get ahead of that, those changes, um, makes a lot of sense. And so... You know, when we, we think about this, and this is maybe uh, a good time to, to bring Dermot in, because when we also think about the, the flow and effects of COVID and, and what's been happening is we, we heard about these zombie companies that were getting propped up by stimulus packages. Uh, we heard that the, you know, the, the, um, the magistrate's court wasn't seeing cases, companies weren't going bust because there was no one to actually hold them to account. But now the ATO wants to get paid. Uh, and now the government, you know, are looking out for their payday. And so some of that supply chains aren't the only thing that has been held up. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there's some really interesting conversation that we can have with, with Dermot uh, in regards to what is going to be potentially a little bit of a tidal wave that's going to be coming through over the next 12 to 24 months that we should all be aware of. Well, you can only kick the can down the road so far. You know, at some point you've got to pay the piper. Um, so, Andy, why don't you do the do the uh, the the uh, intros and uh, let's do it. Let's let's get Dermot in here. Give him the give him the razzle dazzle, mate. Before I turn him into uh, bring him into the show. <laughs> well, the only problem is I'm probably going to butcher where he was a partner, <laughs> and hopefully we're not going to get sued by. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Deloitte, but uh, Dermot uh, Dermot is a is a is a business owner. He's an entrepreneur. He owns a um, uh, and a, a, a liquidation business or an administration business that helps business owners uh, wind up when they've made a few mistakes, helps them survive, uh, and then sometimes you know it has to help them go on to their next venture. Uh, it's a very interesting part of the world. Uh, it's not just limited to that. He also has a, a high-end brand 
which Jason and I clearly <laughs> we don't subscribe to. <laughs> uh, but uh, Dermot is much more stylish than what we are, and he has a, a very very high. I have to get some tips from him. I have to get some luxury. tips from him. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely <laughs> need them. Uh, and uh, and also uh, a hedge fund uh, manager now as well. And uh, he's he's a bit of a freak when it comes to all things business. He's helped uh, both of us wrap our heads around some reasonably complex issues, and and helped many of our clients and and also uh, listeners over COVID kind of look and and understand as business owners what we need to be looking at. And some of the things he's going to cover off on today are going to be for every single business owner. If you're a business owner and you're listening right now, you do not want to switch off the channel. If you're a CEO or a board of director, if you have director of anything in your name, like you do not want to switch off this uh, this show right about now because uh, it could be a bit of a horror show. Um, but, uh, but geez, I tell you what, uh, it, it may well save your bacon moving forward, mate. So, um, so mate, let's let's get Dermot in. Our inaugural guest, our first guest ever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. I have to say, I'm glad I didn't know back then that I was your first. I would have been nervous. <laughs> there would have been some anxiety. <laughs> Well, I think we're about we over a hundred shows in now. I think, or maybe over over hundred and twenty or shows in anyway. So uh, we're getting used to it, but uh, we're 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 we're, we're, uh, we're loving having you back, mate. Thanks for joining us You're again, right, and, uh, all the way from WA. And yeah, um, yeah listen, um, you know, we were chatting off air, Dermot. So for for those listening in right now, you know, uh, make sure you get out a pen and a piece of paper, or you know take some notes on your iPad or your iPhone because, you know, some of these things that Dermot uh, helps business owners in. And it was also you, you were talking about, you know, self-managed super funds and, you know, investors and, and those sorts of things as well. So, yeah. mate, you know, why don't you do, you know, the 30 seconds, you know, on top of what Andy sort of said intro and then, you know, we'll we'll dive into a few things because you said the ATO is a bit on the warpath. They're over COVID and they want to get their money. Yeah, so uh, well, thank you for the introduction, Andy. Um, you were very generous. Um, yeah, I've um, I've been doing this for about twenty five years in the formal insolvency and restructuring space in Australia. I was a partner at Deloitte for a number of years, and then I set up my own practice. And I was also a partner at Ferrier Hodgson um, before it merged with KPMG. Um, the COVID was an interesting time for insolvency, of course. Um, we thought, we genuinely thought when COVID was starting that this was going to be the busiest that we had ever seen in our entire lives. Uh, and that wasn't necessarily exciting. We were looking at it saying we don't have the capacity mm. to do this. And I mean we as in the, the, the population of liquidators in Australia. Um, there simply wasn't anywhere near enough of us. But then the government response kicked in and they effectively turned off liquidation for 12 months. It was they that. Put everything on, on the Did sort of the go you, slow. Yeah. You, you yeah. literally yeah. went on a holiday, didn't you, Dermot? Like you literally, like in the <laughs> middle of the biggest business interruption events that we've seen yeah. in the last hundred years, you went, you went on holiday. Um, you know, you, none of us anticipated that government policy could turn off our businesses the way that it did. Um but anyway, we, we, we broke through that and that's fine. But one thing that one thing that lingered from COVID and the reaction was there was this moratorium with the tax office that they weren't enforcing old debt. And that stretched all the way through until 
um, earlier this year. And then, of course, we had the federal election that was looming. And there was an obvious political football there that the ATO didn't want to start moving on small business um, for the old debt whilst there was this election coming up. So they waited until it was finished. And then, um, predictably, they start um, issuing notices to company directors. Now, you mentioned earlier you know, they want to be paid. I actually don't think that's right. I think they, they understand they're not going to be paid, but they're cleaning up the balance sheet. Yeah. They're not going to let that old debt just sit there. And you also have to remember that the tax office doesn't have authority to compromise what they call crime debt. So if you owe the taxman tax as distinct from penalties and interest, if you owe them tax, that tax either has to be paid or the entity that owes it has to go through a bankruptcy or a liquidation or some form of formal restructure. They're not allowed to negotiate away underlying tax debt. And so that's what they're doing. They're looking at this and they're saying, this is enormous. We haven't seen this probably in the history of the ATO. And they're looking at that default book to get it down. And that's the zombie companies you mentioned. And so the way they react to that is they send out what we call director penalty notices. And these are these really nasty things which try and attach personal liability to the directors of a company. For, the, for either the GST, POIG, or super that is unpaid. And um, what's most frustrating from our perspective is, and we have to explain this, you know, we see the sad circumstances time and time again, what becomes the defining factor of whether or not personal liability attaches to the directors is whether or not they lodge the forms on time. It has nothing to do with the payment. And... Most directors don't understand the nuance there. A lot of directors put their head in the sand and when they can't pay the liability, they don't lodge it for the fear that that will get the monkey on their back. So, you know, that's frustrating because we get presented with a business which is potentially salvageable, but now the directors are on the hook personally for all this tax debt. And that, of course, changes the decision-making at the director level. Yeah. Um, And then that becomes problematic. You can't... Directors in that situation don't make rational, logical decisions that, that, that you're advising them to. And it's understandable. But that's that's what they're doing now. And it has having this huge effect on the East Coast. Um, the number of liquidations or insolvency appointments in general has skyrocketed on the East Coast. The West and, is and, and, and you reckon, the, Dermot, like you reckon that's because like this moratorium, like it's just been building up, it, it's sort of yeah. slowly but steadily sort of, you know. Well, it's a combination of a few things. That is probably the biggest moving part in this equation. Um, The other moving part is the interest rates and the supply chain issues. And when I say supply chain issues, it's not just goods, but also being able to lock down the right staff to deliver the service. I'm not sure what it's like on the ground in the East Coast at the minute I'm in WA, but I can tell you here, you know, take, for example, restaurants, they're opening on rotation effectively. Because And when they do open, sometimes they're closing off half the restaurant because they don't have the staff. Yeah. So you get this. It's, it almost feels like a wartime response to what yep. we're going through. Um, yeah. Is it? I don't think it's going to get better in the next two months. I no, think it is aggravated by the COVID wave we have at the minute. But um, I don't see any quick fix solution to this. Well, I mean, you know, and Andy and I, I mean, yourself, Dermot, you, you know, we run businesses and, you know, we tried to get back to normal at the beginning of the year and, you know, get together and do some wow. travel and then, you know, half the team have got COVID or they're out or they're sick and 
you know, it yeah. hasn't, it really just hasn't stopped. And, you know, I think that's going to continue for, for quite a while. And certainly the same on the East Coast. It's, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, I don't think it's as bad right now. Maybe Andy got a little bit different down in, in Melbourne because it got really knocked for six. But, you know, up here in Brizzy and the Gold Coast, it's fairly, fairly okay. Um, but uh, still understaffed and, un- and shortages sort of everywhere, that's for sure. Yeah, well, we're finding that a lot of the the, uh, the owners of businesses are working in them more uh, now, almost right across the board. Uh, yeah. Because ultimately, especially in the restaurants, like they're, they're if if you price correctly, and and our clients and our listeners will price correctly because they've spent time listening to us and they know that they've got to raise prices. But that's just what you need to be doing right now. You have to, in order to be able to compete with rising costs of goods. Uh, whether that be seafood, whether it be you know raw materials, you've got a you've got a competitive marketplace. You've got higher turnover typically, uh, so you've got higher recruitment costs. So the cost of business is skyrocketing for so many different reasons, which has to be passed on to the end consumer. And I think that a lot of business owners don't actually know that. Uh, and I think that that's possibly somewhere, Dermot, that's going to be a, a problem that's going to exacerbate things moving forward because if business owners start to get that fear of desperation where they're clinging on it's hard to raise prices when you feel like you're losing your business because even though that may well be the one thing that you really absolutely need to do yeah it's a nasty problem because of course if you miss the there's an opportunity right now to raise prices because everyone's perception is that inflation is running and i don't think any of us accept that 6.8 percent is a real number um you know the likelihood that we're sitting at about 50 percent of the UK inflation rate is pretty low. Um, if the US and the UK are running in double digits, it's highly likely that we will, if we're not there yet, we will get there. Um, sorry, that's my opinion. Um, what's priced into the market at the minute is that inflation will top out at between 7 and 8%. And we see that as quite optimistic. And you look at the, you look at the, the point you just made, Andy, and that is the opportunity to pass costs through. If you miss that opportunity today, Gone. Customers may not like it, but they're calibrated to expect it. You miss that opportunity today, and then it's going to be rammed down your throat in 12 months' time, and then the uplift is going to be problematic because the uplift then for you to correct could be 25%, and that's going to damage your business in a whole new way. So yeah. that you know, there's an opportunity today, but also you've got to run with that tide or else it will leave you high and dry. Well, let's reverse up just for a second and, and Dermot sort of, you know, maybe just um, put in perspective, you know, your the world of liquidator or administrator, you know, or th- those words often strike a bit of fear, you know, or misunderstanding or terror into, <laughs> into many business owners. Um, and, uh, you know, many years ago, it, it was actually the GFC. Uh, I don't know if I remember telling you the story or not. You know, I certainly had um, uh, a few businesses, uh, development businesses, property businesses at that point in time uh, get stung in the GFC. And um, for me, certainly the right person on your side when it comes to restructuring your affairs, if something hasn't gone your way, liquidator, administrator, whatever the term is or the right conversation is absolutely essential. Mate, uh, you know, if, if there's any business owners sitting here listening or even maybe, let's say, you know, um, regular people who have some challenges, issues, let's start at the ATO level um, yeah. and work our way back. You know, 
what would your um what would your suggestion be of how to manage this stuff navigate it you know if there's challenges issues on the horizon yeah. what, what should people do well the first thing and the first thing is they've got to confront the issue and and yep. the you know it's, these are difficult issues for me a company going into liquidation means that it's friday for most people this is the biggest decision of their financial lives yeah and it's easy for us to forget that it, that it carries that kind of uh, of momentum huge the, yeah. but you've got to you've got to confront the issue you have a window of opportunity today i don't mean today but in you know within the next 12 months the ATO is not leaving you with a choice. They are presenting you with um, a conundrum that says either you deal with this old debt or we will deal with it for you. Yep. That's rule number one. You cannot allow the ATO to deal with it for you. What that means is they will apply to the Supreme Court and they will wind up the company and then they will come after you personally for the tax. And that so, is, so is, is that when they appoint someone, so they appoint an unfriendly liquidator or, or um, yeah, well, yeah. they don't have the authority to appoint. All they can do is apply to court and ask the court to appoint someone. Um, but they will absolutely go down that strategy and they will issue these penalty notices against you personally. Yes. So you've got to confront the issue as best you can. And that means getting a liquidator around your table, getting yeah. the right and getting the right liquidator as well. Some liquidators align themselves with the ATO and they feel that their job on this planet is to be the ATO's henchman. And, um, you know, that's fine. That's where they get a lot of their work from. But most of the situations that we see, most, are situations where people haven't gone out to rack up tax debt deliberately and not pay yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I say most because even I have had a situation where I encountered someone who deliberately racked up tax debt and didn't pay it, and we had to take proceedings against them, and the ATO funded us. So we work with the ATO when we need to. But 99% of the time, even more, this is just businesses that something has gone wrong. And in today's market, the supply chain goes wrong, the interest rate has moved on you, you can't get the staff, whatever it may be, or you're just emerging from COVID and that has destroyed half of your business. The ATO understand this. So I don't think they're out looking to get their money back. I think they're out trying to clean up this balance sheet. And this is the opportunity to go to them with a plan and say, I want to restructure. I want to deal with this debt. And that, let's be frank what that means. That means extinguishing the debt without paying it or paying a number of cents on the dollar. Um, and that's what the, the formal insolvency regime gives you the opportunity to do. And in today's world, it's difficult to see the ATO looking at a company if it's the what's important here is if it's the first time a company has tried to restructure where the ATO seems to get some red lights on things is if it's your second or third time through the wash the wash on that yeah. um, but if it's your first time of having difficulties with the ATO like that now's the time to confront that and you can do it in a number of ways depending on the size of your business if you've got a small business then you need to keep the transaction simple and straightforward because if you don't, then the professional phase can just crush it. So you've got to keep it straightforward if it's a small business. If it's a big business, then, of course, it opens you up to more complex possibilities. But let's assume that it's a relatively small business. There's the opportunity to either go into administration and do a deed of company arrangement that eliminates the tax debt um, or go into liquidation and just buy the business out. And you know that that's a bit of a um, that's a bit of an issue, 
because some people hear that advice and they then go and do the wrong thing. They go and do what we call a phoenix, which is where they just lift the business out and don't pay for it and leave the creditors in the company. And that, that's what there's, there's now two or three pieces of legislation that criminalize that activity. Yeah. Uh, that's what a phoenix is. We're not talking about phoenixes. We're talking about proper restructuring. And one mechanism is just to buy the business out of liquidation. And so in today's world, you know, the ATO are going to be receptive to those type of plans. They're not there demanding their money. They're there demanding that the issue be dealt with. And, and really, at the end of the day, they're, uh, the, the, their best interest, if, if we put in our revenue cap, is for you to be sustainable, right? Because if you're sustainable, if your business exists for another 10 years, well, that's another 10 years worth of employee tax, GST, and all of the relevant taxes that they're going to get back. Otherwise, they're going to get zero back unless they go you personally. Yeah. So ultimately, it's in the best interest of everybody. But I think, Dermot, one of the, the things is, and, and I get a bit jaded as well uh, if I haven't spoken to you for a while and it's been too long uh, because you talk about this with so much knowledge and, uh, and, and experience that we start that I start to feel comfortable uh, that, yeah, I, I stop going, oh, the ATO is trying to get their money back and, 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 and all of these sorts of things that, that, that boil up in the background. But there's a, when you go to your average advisor out there, whether it be financial advisor or business advisor or accountant and things like that, uh, I don't think that there's a level of knowledge around this that brings people the security to have this kind of conversation. Because yes. as you said, when their business is, is on the verge of blowing up, they go and speak to their accountant. There's been a couple of cases that we've sort of talked about more recently where all of a sudden it's got, it's doomsay from the accountants who are saying, well, basically the world's over and, you know, brace for impact. Yeah. Uh, but on your side of the equation, it's, it's well, hang on, let's apply a methodology to this. Yes. Let's uh, figure out a way that we can trade through this and understand that, you know, even business owners get to, to mess up at least once and they get a second chance in the draw. And, and that's true. And I should also say, just having been through administration once doesn't mean that the next time you go through, the ATO is going to have the sword out for you. Um, the situation I had last year where I had to commence proceedings against a director wasn't simply because he'd been through liquidation twice. It was because he had done the wrong thing on his tax quite badly. Mm. So... Um, there was a very serious black mark against his name and we came along and it was black mark number two. And these were very serious black marks. These were deliberately avoiding tax. So um, it's not right to say that the ATO is there with swords out. My exp and, and the difficulty for a tax advisor is they don't get to see on the other side of the fence when we mm. are negotiating with the ATO or going through formal procedures. Um, so it's understandable that a tax advisor thinks that either you pay the tax man or it's all over. That, yeah. that, of course, is not true. We get to see the other side. And listen, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. We, I was advising a company, this is probably 10 years ago, I was advising a company here in Western Australia, quite a big company. I won't, I won't get into the details of the industry, but um, they asked me for some help and they said, you know, we've got a tax problem. Um, we need to negotiate a payment plan with the tax office. So we said, okay, you know, let's start to look at the cash flow forecasts. Let's look at the security position. We've got to present them with a decent plan. There was probably tax debt of three or $4 million here. So it wasn't small. And we package up a proposal and take it to the tax office. And the response from the tax office was, yeah, look, 
we understand this. We, we like the proposal you put forward. We like the advice that they're getting. There's just one problem. This is the 19th payment plan in the last two years. And everyone went silent. <laughs> how, do you, how do you respond to that? Now, even in that situation, we got the payment plan. You know, they, they're not there just to crucify people. And, and yeah. these are human beings and they will listen and they will understand and they're smart people and they're perfectly, uh, they're perfectly reasonable. Where they become unreasonable is where directors do the wrong thing. And specifically, when directors refuse to engage with the issue, that's when they become quite toxic. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think a lot of yeah. that comes from uh, not the right advice, Dermot, as well. I think that there's, and you would know better than me, but I would imagine that there is a lot of people who try and play this game a little bit and give the wrong direction and then oh, the yeah. wrong conversations take place. And that's where lives are ruined and businesses are destroyed. Uh, through you know people who aren't specialists in this field actually kind of throwing yeah. their two cents in the ring. Well, that's it, and and there's it's even worse than that. You know, there's what we call pre-insolvency advisors. So these are people who are not registered liquidators, but try and give the advice of a registered liquidator. And um, what they usually do is they try and sell the phoenix concept. And you know, if you think you're in hot water because you've got tax and you can't pay it. Trust me, there is a frying pan to the right-hand side, which is reserved for phoenixes. Mm. Um, if you do a phoenix and the ATO gets a smell of it, um, you know, they, when they start, um, I had one case, it was quite a big case, and I was put up to be a replacement liquidator, um, which I ultimately didn't get. But the taxman was chasing quite a big figure here in Western Australia. And uh, before the vote where they were going to put up the new liquidator, the senior representative from the tax office pulled me aside and said, look, we, we, we're happy for you to be appointed. We are supporting the other guy. But just so you know, Dermot, if you do get appointed, we will support you and we want to fund you to pursue this. And just so you know, we are going to spend like a drunken sailor going after this guy. I didn't know. What, <laughs> I just put my hand and said, well, you know, that's pleasing to hear. Um, but when they get their teeth into something, yeah. if somebody has done the wrong thing, you, you, it's the tax office. It's not a commercial organization that makes commercial decisions on how much will we spend versus how much will we collect. It's about what is the right thing to do. And that's different. Um, yeah. Small businesses are not geared to defend against that. <laughs> no that's way. Yeah. I'm just wondering, yeah. and this is a loaded question. You don't have to answer it, Dermot. Do you have the same opinion of ASIC? Uh, yeah. ASIC, of course, well, they're a bit different. They're, they're the same in a certain way, but ASIC don't have a debt to collect. So ASIC are only concerned with the law. Has there been a breach of the law here? Um, and yeah, where they get their teeth into something, you know, they it was in the news yesterday, so I'm not speaking out of school, but there was an issue about 10 years ago where a director wrote, uh, raised money in one company and then transferred it to another. It was called the Citation Resources and Continental Coal. Oh. Wow. And there was a director in Western Australia here called Peter Landau, and he was a lawyer from the, from the CBD. And so we raised this money and then basically moved it into another company. And they've spent 10 years prosecuting him. And they finally they announced it, and it was in the West Australian newspaper yesterday that he had pled guilty. That was after 10 years of chasing. Yeah, wow. They get their wow. teeth into it. 
Well, if, if they if they want a list, Dermot, I've got a list of about fifteen other people they can uh, they can go after from uh, from back in the in the nineties because yeah. that was a pretty pretty popular activity back uh, just a little bit pre GFC. Uh, there was a lot of that stuff going on, and right. uh, well, uh, th- they can be hard to motivate sometimes to to get them to see that something serious has happened and that mm-hmm. they should do something about it. And that's very often our job. It's to sort of paint the picture for them, and you guys see how bad this is, but. Yeah. Once they get their teeth into something, again, you've got to forget about this idea of making commercial decisions in litigation. They make a different decision than we yeah. would. Um, so they're like the ATO in that regard. Um, yeah. But the big thing, the big opportunity with the ATO is, you know, the opportunity exists today to restructure. You've got the, the most obvious reason in the world that we're all suffering commercially, which is COVID and the tail end of it, the supply chain issues, the inflation. It's ripe for all creditors to say, yeah, the wrong thing has happened here, but this business ought not close because of it and come out the other side. And if you put your head in the sand and ignore it, look, pardon my French, but what you're going to do is you're going to piss them all off. And at the end of the day, restructuring is an agreement between people. And if you get on the wrong side of them, they're just not going to accept anything you say down the track. Yeah. You've got to take care of those stakeholders. Yeah, and get get out there early and and communicate, Dermot. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, if you're if you're ignoring it, then um, you know, certainly that's when people would get, uh, you know, annoyed because you're not engaging. Yeah, yeah. And but the, so, you know, the, you know, the, the when, issue when you say re- restructure, Dermot. Like when you say restructure, so just for for the layman terms, you know, got people listening in. A restructure. What does that technically mean? Basically. I've got some challenges here. I need to renegotiate what my balance, what what the balance I owe to people are, yeah. are and then I need to trade somewhere else. Like so maybe give really us a few minutes is, on that. Yeah. Yeah. So the most basic form of it is what we call the voluntary administration process. And what it means is you appoint an administrator, someone like me, you appoint them to take over control of the business. They spend a few weeks, usually five to six weeks, seeing if there is a restructuring proposal possible. And then they compare that to, well, what would a liquidation look like? So if we liquidate the business, sell everything, put it into a pot, and then pay them out in the cascade that's set out in the Corporations Act, what would creditors get? What would the result be? And typically the result is quite poor. And then we compare that to whatever the plan is. And the plan can be anything you can come up with. And very typically, Let's talk about the tax office. Very typically, that plan says we're not paying the tax. Because unless the tax man would get a big return in the liquidation, then a DACA, a deed of company arrangement that gives them zero is fine. So you're comparing these two alternatives. And then he puts the alternatives to the creditors and they get to vote. And they get to vote based on the, the value of their debts, but also on the number of creditors. And Getting a proposal like that approved is easier than most people would think. Um, so, if market, someone if someone's owed a hundred grand and someone's owed a thousand, are those votes weighted? Are they? Well, they are. So, in order to pass a resolution in an administration, every resolution needs a simple majority of both number and value. Right. So, if you take a typical vote on a DACA and the employees like it because they get to keep their jobs. Yep. Um, some of the creditors may not like it because they don't get paid. So you get this trade-off between the number of vote and the value vote. Uh-huh. And then 
if you if you've got a majority of both that's fine or if you lose a majority of both then that determines the resolution if you've got a majority in number but not value or the other way around then the administrator gets a casting vote and he gets to decide right so um as I say, the, the, the benchmark to get these votes approved is lower than most people would probably suspect. And it's quite a powerful mechanism because what even if, for example, the tax office come along and they say, we don't like this restructuring plan, we're owed a million dollars and this gives us zero, we don't like it. If the vote gets up, then they are bound by the restructuring plan. Really? They're dead extinguished and the company moves on. And so that's that's a very powerful mechanism when you really think that through. And that's that's at its core, that's what our legislation provides for. Now, it is more complex than I've just set out. Um, voluntary administration is, it's not a cheap process. Um, and if you've got a very small company with thirty dollars or $40,000 of tax debt, then the cost of a restructure like that is probably going to be too high. Yeah, and there's another way of doing it, and that is to liquidate the company and buy the business out of the liquidation. You've got to be careful in that regard because that's where this phoenix concept comes up. And as long as you can show that you paid market value, and one of the easy ways of doing that is to buy it from the liquidator, and then you've got an arm's length transaction. Mm. But that's it's a cheaper process, but you've got to be careful. There's a few trap doors in there that could catch you out. The, for a slightly bigger business, if you've got debts of more than, call it a million dollars, then a voluntary administration is a very, very good and very powerful process. And you emerge on the other side um, with a clean balance sheet. You've compromised all of those debts. You may have given them a number of cents on the dollar. That could have been zero. Um, frequently, that is the result from, from deeds of company arrangement. Yep. And you move on. So that's the that's the Australian uh, legislation. It was brought in in the mid nineties to be our equivalent of you hear in the movies or in the in the US people get Chapter Eleven protection. Yes. So what they do over there is similar process. They go to court with a restructuring plan and they say this is what we'd like to do, and that's the equivalent of our deed of company arrangement. And they go to court with that and they say, can you please approve this, Mister Court? And the court decides whether or not it's a good idea. So this is our equivalent. Only ours is not a court-driven process. It's a creditor-driven process, mm. and they get uh-huh. to make the decision. But it's the same thing, um, and it's and it's powerful, and it achieves the objective. There are flaws with it, but it, it gets us. It's our mechanism to make it work. The mechanism, and like you said, I mean, it's great. You know, you you hear these crazy things. You know, maybe like that uh, that one article in the newspaper. You know, the ninety-nine percent of business owners or regular people running their businesses and doing their things are trying their best. Uh, they're not setting out to, you know, you know, on purpose, you know, deceive and, you know, not do what what's right. And, yeah. um, you know, if something goes wrong, it's great that we've got, um, you know, a mechanism to, to have some, you know, processes to, to manage that in, yeah. you know, an effective way. So that's, that's, that's awesome. And as I tell people, you know, in all the jobs that we do, um, even in situations where you've got a, a company and a director has done the wrong thing in a situation where they knew they were doing the wrong thing. Even in that situation, it's not because they were a bad person. They were put into a set of circumstances which were high pressure for them and they were forced to make a decision where they had an abundance of conflicts of interest because they were on the hook personally for a bunch of stuff. 
Mm. And, you know, you put any of us in that situation and your decision making will be flawed. I guarantee you. Yeah. So we, we don't we don't judge people in that scenario. We say, OK, we've got to deal with the issues, but it doesn't make them bad people. You know, I reckon in the last 10 years, the number of jobs where I've emerged from the job and I've said to myself, that was actually a bad person. He went out to hurt people deliberately. It's probably only one or two jobs in the last 10, 15 years where I've experienced that. Mm. Uh, they exist. And, and the one or two have been, even in the last five years, they've been fairly recent. But it doesn't jade me on dealing with directors who have traded insolvently, even if they've taken money out when they shouldn't have. When you understand the motivation behind it, you usually say to yourself, I'm glad I wasn't in that situation because that's a tough decision. But there's, so it's there's, wrong to judge them, you know. It's there's there's a there's an interesting nexus though, and and potentially some of the business owners that are, are watching here are, are picking up on it, and and it almost feels like um, an incongruency in what you're talking about. Uh, and what I mean by that is that there's some, and if we go right back to the beginning of what you said, I reckon it'd be great to summarise that you know, the three to five key points that all company directors and business owners need to be aware of so that they don't trigger these hair clauses that then put them personally uh, in the in the line of sight. Yeah. Um, because, and, and with the reason why I say about the incongruency, because uh, you, you're almost, you almost make it sound attractive to go into administration, Dermot. You, you speak so fondly and well of it and <laughs> how, how reasonable the process is. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's just because you know it backwards, right? And a lot yeah. of people are scared of what they don't know. But then there's these really finite details in the legislation that you can't help people if they fall foul of, right? Yes. So, uh, so, and, and I think that gives them a really bad name. If there's one takeaway then today, if you're a director of a company and if you've got outstanding tax debt, what you should do over the weekend is you should go and see where that outstanding tax or sorry tax or superannuation. You've got to see where that debt comes from. Go back and look at every single BAS return that has an unpaid element and check when that BAS was lodged. That's the important thing. If it was lodged within a month of its due date, then even though there's tax outstanding and you are liable for that tax personally today, a penalty equal to the amount of tax, as long as the lodgement happened within a month of its due date, the penalty is what we call a non-lockdown penalty. And if the ATO come and lump you with the penalty notice, you will have 21 days to appoint a liquidator and get out of the liability personally. If the tax lodgement was more than a month overdue, then the penalty is a lockdown penalty. And you can't get out of that by appointing a liquidator. Now, what's really important is you've got to distinguish those two. It might be half a million of tax debt. You've got to work out what sits in lockdown penalty, what sits in non-lockdown penalty. And to the extent that you're coming up with a payment plan for the ATO, you want to be paying off the lockdown penalty stuff because that is the stuff that you're on the hook for personally. So that's something that mm. any director with tax debt should wow. do immediately. And, you know, it's, a sim it's akin to looking down your list of creditors and saying, well, who do I owe, per who, ha who have I given personal guarantees to? Well, they should be, it should be important to you to get those creditors cleared and then negotiate to get out of your guarantees, get the guarantees off the table. Yeah. Um, I set up my business 10 years ago. I didn't have an abundance of capital to set it up, but I had one very strict rule when I set it up. I will not give anybody personal guarantees. 
because I saw the effect. The effect is it's all over. I want to put the keys on the table, but I can't because of the guarantees. And now you start to make silly decisions. Yeah. And so I said, I'm not giving any personal guarantees. To this day, 10 years later, I have not had a single supply. I haven't had a single lease. And people usually think leases are where you get caught. You have to give personal guarantees. No, you don't. Every single time I've said, sorry, policy is we don't give personal guarantees. And now and when it came to leases, they said the same thing. Okay, give us an extra month of a bank guarantee. Said, no worries. Yep. 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 It's, um, it's, a, it's amazing, Dermot. We, I think we, we've, we've been banging this drum, Jason and I, for a little while. And, and I think you don't know that this exists until you've been bitten by it or you're yeah. in your circumstances, Dermot, where it's your job to know about it. Uh, you know, my most recent experience was, uh, was with cars. Uh, you know, you went and got your, your, your mortgage for a company, company car, your chattel mortgage, and uh, it literally, it, and people will swear black and blue that you can't do it, and uh, they came out and said, "Well, there's a personal guarantee. I won't sign it with a personal guarantee." And and they literally just went back and they went, "Oh, well, that's just the way that it is." I said, "Well, tell them no or no deal," and they literally just came back twenty minutes later, going, "I can't believe it, but yeah, you can have it without the personal guarantee." Yeah, <laughs> and it's that simple, but people don't get it. But you, you were also uh, alluding to earlier on that. Um, if, 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 oh, sorry, is there a way of rectifying if you did miss a, a BAS payment by a period of time? Right. So, so, so if, yeah, well, uh, remember, distinguish the payment from the lodgement. Sorry, the lodgement okay. was late. Is there a way so, of cleaning no, if the lodgement, that up? If the lodgement was more than a month late, then any amount of tax that is still owed from that lodgement is a lockdown penalty. And right. that, if I were the director, that would become top of the list to get that paid. That now is the only way of discharging that penalty is to get the underlying tax paid. Um, and so I think, and, and in business, we, we don't understand this, right? Because a lot of the time business owners uh, are kind of, they lodge based on whatever the accountant can do for them. And, and if it's late or early, they don't really care because there's a bill that's at the end of it. And the sooner the bill yeah. comes, you know, that's not nice to have. But basically what you're saying is, regardless of the circumstances, you've always got to lodge your bass on time Correct. and make sure that your super is paid on super's paid on time and bass is lodged on time. Is that that? So, yeah, and then to the extent super is late, then there's this super, uh, SGC lodgement that is necessary. It's basically a spreadsheet that you have to lodge with the ATO. Most people are not aware of it because you don't have to lodge this if your super is paid on time. But the same rule exists for this lodgement of super and that, that catches more people out even. Um, so I, if the message is go and have a look at the lodgements and see what makes up this tax debt. Um, if there is a big tax debt, don't avoid it because it's not going to go away. And then the, the other thing is if the ATO have already come along to you and said, well, here's your penalty notice and you're on the hook, it's a lockdown penalty, you just got to pay. The important thing to understand there is it's a penalty. It is not crown debt. And I made the point earlier that the ATO isn't allowed to compromise crown debt. It is allowed to compromise penalties. And we've negotiated with the ATO before, and we've had 70, 80% reductions in penalties simply because the person couldn't pay them. So they're not unreasonable. Um, we, yeah. You can't talk to them in those situations. So don't just think, um, well, I'm liable now for half a million personally, so that I may as well keep on rolling the dice in the company and making things worse. That may not be the case. Yeah. 
but it, it's the mindset you get into as well. It's sort of I'm I'm in this deep. I may as well keep going. Correct. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna hang for a lamb. I may as well hang for a sheep. And that's you know what I'm saying. It so, should be uh, in the director's rule book, right? They're, they've got <laughs> self-managed super funds. You have to go through certain amounts of education, but to become a director of a business, there's no there's no real rule book, is there? It's like here's your here's your constitution, here's your ability yeah. to trade, but there's no book that says number first two rules of being a director: lodge on time, every time, on time, all the time, yeah. super paid, on time, every time, or in front. And if you do those two things and or and no personal guarantees, and if you do those three things, then you're probably going to inc- or decrease the insolvency statistics or the, the business bankruptcy statistics because you'll be able to, in some way, if it's a viable business and you've made a few other mistakes for other reasons, you'll be able to trade out in yeah. some way, shape or form. Yeah. Well, well, I think the key thing, Andy, Dermot, is, is that, that it quarantines it to the business activity not flowing into your personal life. Personal. And, I, and I think that's yeah. really the lesson, Dermot, you know, Andy, you know, really takeaway for me is that, you know, we as entrepreneurs, business owners doing something, you know, extraordinary, um, taking some risks, um, it can go wrong. It should not if you do it correctly. Um, it should not flow and and blow up everything. You know, there yeah. should be some some walls, <laughs> some you know, some damn walls around yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah. Remember what I said earlier about um, if you if you ignore them, it it gets them on the wrong side. It gets them on the wrong side to such an extent they came up with this legislation just to encourage lodgement. Mm. That's that's the only reason this legislation exists. <laughs> it's to encourage people to lodge the bass and the SGC returns. Yeah, um, you're like absolutely that. right. Um, but look, the reality is some people will be sitting saying today, well, I've got this tax debt. I don't know when it was incurred. I don't know if it's lockdown or non-lockdown. Mm-hmm. Go have a look. Go get the bass out. You can go to your portal and you can see um, your activity statement and it'll say when it was lodged and when the effective date was um, and the period it applied to. Do a quick spreadsheet with the dates and it'll tell you what was more than a month overdue when it was lodged. And that will give you your breakdown. Um, and lodgement has to be lodgement must be front and center of everything. Get yeah. get ahead of it. Get yeah. ahead of it. Well, I think I think that's um, you know, let's um, we, we might put a pin in it there, Andy Dermot, but for for this week. But I reckon we could um, you know, I reckon we could talk well, for a lot more about this. Um, but, well, I'd love to, and I don't know what your time's like, Dermot. I'm I'm about to go on a, a little bit of a holiday. But I, uh, we were talking off off air about some of the the hedge fund stuff that you're doing, and but yeah. I'd love to hear about some of the opportunities that come over the other side of things not quite working out. Mm. Uh, so, and if you're happy to come back on and, and chat about those things, uh, mate, we'd love, yeah, we'd to, love to. Um uh, We, in summary, it's a hedge fund for. Um, we say it's a hedge fund for distressed debt. That's not quite right. Most people think the spectrum of distressed debt ends when a company enters administration, when it when it technically fails. We operate on the other side of that uh, or inside of that black hole where we provide funding for businesses to go through a restructure. So let's say you've appointed an administrator, but he needs half a million dollars in order to trade the business through for two months to get it out the other side. We provide that funding. We take security on the business, which the administrator can provide. Um, and then we take it out the other side with you, having eliminated all of the problematic debt. 
So it's a very, it's quite a specialized hedge fund. It's quite small because that gives you very high levels of leverage uh, in the transactions. So it's bespoke for that. Um, we we deal with all of the major um, insolvency firms in Australia. That's not to say we will lend to every liquidator in Australia. We um, Our industry has an average and has a below average as well, and we like to operate in the top half. So... <laughs> Um, but it's a, it's a it's a powerful little hedge fund for that. This this kind of product has existed for a long time at the top end of town. Mm. Um, it's something the Americans do very well. The American insolvency practitioners, which are attorneys, they bring capital to the table um, quite well. Australians don't. Australian liquidators in general are very very poor at bringing capital solutions to the table. Mm. Um, we can put it together. We can piece it together at the top end of town. But in the middle market or in the SME side, it's very, very hard. And that's what this fund is designed for. So it's powerful. We need more time to explain it in, in more depth, Andy. But that's the, that's yeah. the rough well, of it. I'd love to because yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, as an investment vehicle, uh, I mean, we, we deal with some, you know, very high net worth clients that we bring uh, special deals to for, from different points in time. And I think that would be of, of interest. But I think it's also of interest to kind of, shape where we think that Australia should go a little bit because uh, ultimately you, there's there's bad names for these types of funds, but the way that I look at it is a company fails through poor management or poor leadership, right, uh, but sometimes has an incredible product business service that sits behind it. It's just the management wasn't done yeah. well uh, or the leadership wasn't done well. It's usually one of those two things, right, um, and you that can either die and never be seen again or where somebody like yourself comes along with some smart money and kind of goes well this this thing's a real deal like this there's got real possibilities if it was just managed right yeah and then all of the employees of that business or some of the employees of that business the the people who create the products they get to be employed and and potentially we get to to see innovations in australia that die in australia and i think one of the reasons that australia uh is where we are is because we don't encourage innovation. Uh, and uh, I think that it would be great to have a conversation about that. We do a lot in the yeah. private equity space, which is sort of that next tier, but you're sort of, it's it's how to, you know, raise from the ashes a great business that was mis- mismanaged yeah. And, yeah. and how you can make money on it on the way through. And I actually think it's a great investment concept. Uh, yeah, you know, some people, some people le- hear, hear the brief headline of it and they think, oh, is it a vulture fund? And we say, well, no, it's not, because a vul- the, the, the purpose of a vulture fund is to take a position and then pull things apart and make a return because the sum of the, the individual parts are worth more than the sum now. And that's ultimately what a vulture fund tries to do. We, we are operating beyond the spectrum of failure, first of all. So we're operating with administrators. And the goal is to save the business. That's why mm. we're investing. Now, we, you know, the returns are high. And so when we talk to our investors, we talk about returns of circa 35% per annum. And that was the return for last year that we just distributed from the fund. But every single one of our clients, after we're fully repaid, think we're fantastic because we were the only ones ready to take them through and save them in this process. Yeah. yeah. And whilst we may have charged a lot for the debt, the amount of debt that was compromised in, this, in the process as well dwarfed what we charged. So... Mm-hmm. Um, we still like to think we add value in that regard. It does. It is. It is specific to a certain size of 
company because of the size of the fund. So at the minute, our sweet spot is lens of between sort of 400,000 and 1.5 mil. Above that, we syndicate with some of our investors. But that sweet spot for a small to medium size is where we are today. Well, I love it. I'd love to dive into that if you if you're open to to talk right. about some of the the ways that it puts together, and maybe even go through a couple of sort of case studies as to yeah. to how it operates. Because I also think that you know there's a number of people who listen to this who do have great businesses, great ideas, and and might have mismanaged them, uh, and then they can understand that not only is there a way out, uh, which is voluntary administration or small business restructuring, but there's potentially a way out. Uh, and and also you know an equity launch on the opposite side of it as well yeah. uh, so it changes the perspective of administration and liquidation uh from a very scary thing to uh, well something that is more familiar which is maybe then you know people don't make those poor decisions uh and uh you know more businesses survive so i think yeah. it'd be great mate if you love to come back. make wine at five o'clock on a friday you had me at wine. <laughs> oh, perfect. Well, well that's, uh, three that's o'clock great, for you, mate. Dermot. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, mate, uh, Andy, Dermot, great to have you guys. Uh, guys, um, again, yeah. I'm going to go and start telling people that I was your first. <laughs> I'm not going to explain it any more than that. I'm just going to say I was your first. <laughs> Uh, no, that, that's uh, that's a good way to explain it. That was for sure. Yeah. All right, guys. <laughs> uh, appreciate Enjoy you, mate. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Cheers. And uh, look forward to hanging out again. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Dermot. See ya. <laughs> See you, Dermot. <laughs> well, mate, uh, as always, um, good to hang out with you also. But, um, you yeah, know, that was awesome. Be good to see if we can lock Dermot in for a, another one um, sometime soon. Plenty to talk about. And um, certainly uh, a few comments here saying, you know, great reminder for all directors. 100%. Um, yeah, oh. bit of a shout-out. Yeah, yeah. They should and, teach uh, this stuff at school, Jace. really. They really should. Well, mate, um, I think uh, I think that's uh, part of your and my calling anyway. While we do this, we like to make sure that people understand what's going on. And um, big shout out from Bryce as well. Thanks, uh, thanks for uh, everything for for everyone tonight. But uh, mate, I'm going to love you and leave you tonight because uh, I've got a new fireplace uh, just outside, and there's pizzas um, on the ready. So uh, I'm going to say, hey, folks, it's been awesome, been been uh, been great fun. Um, but uh, it's a it's a bit of a good night from him, and it's a good night from me. I'll see you next week in Atataki. <laughs> Good night, folks. Good night, everyone.